Welcome to the BJU Press Teacher Edition Podcast, where Christian educators are encouraged and inspired as we bring you interviews, practical ideas, strategies, and answer your questions about teaching in today's culture. And here's your host, Jenny Copeland. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. We are so pleased that you are choosing to spend a few minutes of your day with us. I really do trust you will find encouragement in your calling as well as some practical takeaways for each week. So please take a minute to subscribe to the podcast. And if you know of anyone who might enjoy tuning in, please do share the show with them. Don't forget to follow us on social media as well. We are Teacher Edition Podcast on Facebook. And you can also find us on Instagram and TikTok at Teacher Edition Pod. That's Teacher Edition Pod. By the way, if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, it really does help out the show. Again, I just want to remind you also to go to our website, teachereditionpodcast.com, and submit a funny story, a testimony, or a question. We want to include you on our shows. We can learn so much from each other, so please do take that opportunity to connect. Maybe you're looking for some ideas for classroom setup or incentives, or you're hunting for a new idea for communicating with parents, whatever it is. Please take a minute to submit it there, and then be sure to listen until the end of our interviews each time because that's when we'll be diving into those questions and sharing those stories. So speaking of interviews, let's get started with today's topic. I am very excited to have Rachel Santa Petra with us today. If you have ever met Rachel, you know she is passionate about helping students experience joy in learning. She has a degree in chemistry and a master's degree in education. She's been a teacher as well as a writer and She really draws from both of those experiences in her current position, where she's overseeing instructional design for the writing teams at BJU Press. Her husband, Mike, also works at BJU Press, and they have three fantastic kids. And if you're around Rachel for very long, you are probably going to hear some stories of her rock climbing and her outdoor adventures. Okay, so let me clarify. By rock climbing, I really mean real rock climbing. So we as educators often think of rock walls as those amazing rock formations, but the naturally spaced, and there's air quotes around that naturally spaced, and those brightly colored hand and foot handles that we call rocks, but actually they're just little plastic things. But Rachel really does the real thing, like real rocks. So my muscles just hurt whenever I hear her stories because I just can't even imagine doing that. So those are some fun things that she enjoys. But speaking about muscles, In this episode, we're actually going to talk about treating the brain like a muscle. And that's really intriguing to me because we don't automatically put the brain in the category with a muscle. So, Rachel, thank you for taking time to join us. Yeah, sure. To get this going, let's start with the basics. So let's go all the way back. What do you mean by thinking of the brain like a muscle or why should we think that way? Yeah, so um, it's kind of funny that you brought in the role rock climbing thing because I really do love training with weights as well. But the brain is not actually a muscle biologically. But if we think about it, we, I think we've all, we have kids, we have students, and we think of the way that they think about their hobbies and their sports um, is often a little bit different than the way that they think about school and grades. Um, when they think about hobbies like music or the sports, there's this idea that they want to get better, that they're practicing, they're they're trying to push into new territory. But when it comes to school, 
they think about learning as something that they have to do, something that they have to endure, and they don't necessarily think about getting better at it. Right, right. So Carol Dweck in her book Mindset talks about this and she identifies two different mindsets, a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. And that mindset affects how we view challenges, how we view obstacles, um, how we exert effort, how we receive criticism, and how we perceive the success of others. So when we think about the brain like a muscle, we are actually setting up ourselves and our students to have a growth mindset where they embrace challenge, they view um, effort as part of growth and part of learning, and they view failure as a path to learning rather than something to be avoided at all costs. And their brain has the ability to grow, has the ability to develop just like a muscle. So when you're trying to get stronger physically, it's, it's similar to getting stronger mentally. So it really sets them up to approach school with that or approach learning with a growth mindset. Okay, so maybe we can stall there for just a second. So what would you say is the difference between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset? I think we can get the basic gist of it, but what would you say is the difference? Sure. So I kind of characterize a little bit the growth mindset and, you know, your view towards challenge. A lot of times when kids are in school, they think about or, or when they're trying to learn something that they have to learn, they want to avoid looking like they're exerting effort. Because if they're exerting effort, then that means they're not naturally talented. They want to make it look effortless. And failure, so if they raise their hand in class and they get a question wrong, that is like something that's the kind of thing that you have nightmares about. So what are they going to do? They're just not going to answer questions, you know? So the idea here is that failure is something that you embrace as a part of learning. So that's fixed mindset versus growth mindset. And criticism is viewed as a path to growth. growth. So that you, as a teacher, the teacher is a learning coach. The teacher is like a personal trainer for your brain. And they can get expire, inspired just like students might have sports heroes or, or musical people that they look up to, that they can get inspired by those people, that we can also get inspired when it comes to learning um, as well. So setting up a fixed mindset and setting up a growth mindset is all affected by um, how we praise students and we're praising um, their effort to set up that growth mindset, whereas a fixed mindset where teachers often praise talent and that really shuts down learning. So that's kind of the, the big difference between the two. Okay, those are great thoughts. I love that. So we have our growth mindset and our fixed mindset, but let's talk about the brain itself. So how do you feel that treating the brain like a muscle motivates students? Because obviously we know motivation is so key in their learning and their understanding and they're really getting into what they're learning. So how do you feel that the brain, like a muscle, motivates students? Sure. So if we view learning and intelligence with a fixed mindset as something either you have it or you don't have it, a student could say, you know what, I just don't do school. I'm not good at school. I'm not good at grades. And what are they going to do? They're just going to stop trying. But when we view the brain like a muscle where we're praising effort and we're viewing it as you might not know this or you might not have an ability, but you have the possibility of improving and growing in this area. All of a sudden, we open up these new possibilities for students to do things that they may not have thought that they were capable of doing before. And in her book, Carol Dweck, 
actually points out that they've done studies on this and you actually do improve achievement by approaching learning this way. So students actually perform better. So it's not just a mind game. They also perform better when they change their mindset. Right. Okay. So let's take this down in the weeds just a little bit. So I had a professor who used to say, let's put overalls on this. Let's make it work for us. Okay. So in this case, we've established what you mean by thinking of the brain as a muscle. Now let's put overalls on that. So how can we treat the brain like a muscle? So when I'm training for rock climbing and I'm using weights and doing my strength training, I don't start with the heaviest weights. I start with lighter weights. And uh, there's this thing called progressive overload. And the idea is you're always pushing the boundaries of what you can do. You're trying to push into new territory. So there is a fantastic model that helps us do that. It's kind of our mental or cognitive weight rack when it comes to learning. And that is uh, Bloom's taxonomy. So Bloom's taxonomy, there are actually three different parts to this model, but the one I'm going to focus on is the cognitive framework where we're thinking about thinking and learning. And I think about it like our, our cognitive weight rack here. Yeah. Tell us more. What is it? Probably most people have a basic understanding, but what is it? And then can you describe the model a little bit more? Sure. So it's a hierarchy of learning. So Benjamin Bloom developed Bloom's taxonomy um, in 1956, and that was revised in 2001. And they actually switched some of the levels around. So let me just describe the model. So it's a pyramid and there are six levels on this pyramid. So the bottom level is remember. So on this bottom level, students are just memorizing things. Right. So this would be like your five pound dumbbells, you know, just the. Now, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. No, it's a good place to start. And in fact, it's essential to start there, especially for younger students as you're building this foundational level of knowledge. So then the next level up from the bottom, the second level up from the bottom is the understand level. And students are describing things, explaining things, describing things. That's like your your 10-pound weights there. And then above that, so third level from the bottom is the apply. And that's like your 15-pound dumbbells where students are practicing procedures. They're applying knowledge. They're bringing in some new information and applying their information to new areas. So that would be like your 15-pound your dumbbells. The next level above that, that's the, the fourth level from the bottom, is analyze. And that's where students are pulling things apart and looking at their pieces and they're relating things and comparing and contrasting things. And this is like your, your 20-pound dumbbells. And then the level above that, so we're second from the top now, the level from above that is evaluate. And that's when students are making judgments about things. So is this good or is this bad? Is this work or does this not work? Does this relate to them or does it not relate to them? That's going to be the evaluate. And that's kind of your 25-pound dumbbells. And probably the highest weights I've ever used have been the 30-pound dumbbells. And that's going to be your create level. That's the top of the pyramid. And that is really when students are the most engaged in their learning is when they're creating something new. And that's where we would really want students to get to in their learning because that's really what engages them. And 
the top three levels, analyze, evaluate, and create, we would call critical thinking skills, our higher order thinking skills. And that's really where we want to push the learning. But you always have to start at the bottom with remember and work up to that understand level. And once you get to that understand level, then you can jump to any of those higher levels. And that's what we call scaffolding. Okay. So let's now put overalls on Bloom's taxonomy. So let's take it into the classroom. How do teachers use Bloom's? And you know, just give us some examples. How would that look? You've kind of, you interspersed a few, but can you give us some more ideas? And then of course, I want to talk more about that critical thinking and learning goals and things like that. But can we start talking like, how does this look right down in the weeds in the classroom? If you are using objectives, if a teacher's using objectives or standards, the wording of those standards and objectives that drive the lesson starts with a verb. And that verb can be linked directly to a level on Bloom's taxonomy. So if your verb is a list or recall or label or identify, it's usually going to be hitting on or recite. It's going to be usually hitting on that remember level. The same is true for the other levels. So understand is going to be explain, describe, those kinds of things. So if you're going to be laying that foundation, you're, you're really going to be starting to get into this, you have to start where students are just memorizing certain things. Like, for example, say that students are just trying to read a sentence. They have to learn those letters and learn those sounds. And that's just going to be that remember. Then they have to start to put those letters and sounds together to have words that have a meaning so that they can understand the words. And then they're going to put those words together to make sentences. And there's going to be a process for how they would read a sentence. Now you're getting into the apply level. So you have to work up Bloom's taxonomy to really help lay the foundation for those higher levels of learning. Okay, so how can teachers use Blooms to lay the foundation for critical thinking? Right. So I mentioned this a little bit that you have to start with that remember, and that's going to happen. There's going to be a lot of memorization that's going to be happening preschool, first grade, second grade. You're going to just have to, the students are just going to have to memorize a lot of things. And then once they can just have that knowledge, build that knowledge, and then understand it, moving again up to that second level of Bloom's taxonomy, then they're ready to jump to any of those higher levels. But we do tend to teach the way that we were taught, and sometimes that involves a lot of memorizing and understanding, but maybe not quite so much that analyzing, evaluating, and creating. And that's important to make sure that we spend time developing mastery on those lower levels, because without that mastery, the critical thinking's not possible, but we can't just end with remembering, understanding, and applying. Right. And it seems like that is kind of the default in the classroom. You know, if we're going to go over something, we just regurgitate, just get it to them and have them regurgitate. And then we check off that they've learned. And that kind of goes back to those learning goals. And if I'm understanding correctly, when you have objectives that have those measurable active, you have those verbs right there of those different levels, that's how you can make sure they've met those learning goals, right? Right. So you're, you have your objectives, you have your standards, but then you would also have assessments that would directly correlate to that. So your content would be aligned to the objective and the standard, and then your assessments would also be aligned to the objective or the standard as well. So that's how you're making sure you're connecting all the dots. And 
if you really want to make sure that students are getting to those higher levels, you have to have data on what they're actually understanding because we can't read our students' minds. It would be really handy if we could. Yeah, it would be handy. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. So it sounds like it's super important to make sure that when a teacher is creating their objectives for their lesson, that they reach into each of those levels and maybe obviously not each level for every lesson, but not just staying at that lower level and writing those objectives in a way that makes sure we touch those different levels is so important. And then that does give us the measurable way too to find out, did the students really get it? Not just winging it of, I'm going to teach and we'll assume we'll hit those different levels. It really takes that proactive effort to make sure we reach those different levels. And teaching is not just delivering information. It's also checking to see if the information has been grasped. So, and that's part of the the art and science of teaching is not just giving the information, but monitoring how it's received. Right. And I think you're kind of touching on too, I want to talk just a little bit more about critical thinking skills because so often it's easy to just, like I said, just give out the information, the students regurgitate it, good, we're done, we move on. But especially more than ever right now, those critical thinking skills, I mean, they're developing skills they're going to take into their next level and right into you know, the workplace or you know, to what the Lord has for them at that next level. Can you talk a little bit, just your comments on why it's so important to help those students develop those critical thinking skills, you know, even at a young age and not just take in information and regurgitate it? Well, I think it's important on several different levels. First of all, there's the engagement piece, the motivation piece. I mentioned that students are most engaged in their learning when they're creating. And I've actually heard some people say, well, young kids, they can't exercise critical thinking. You mean to tell me that kids can't evaluate? They certainly can evaluate. They do evaluate sometimes quite strongly. Um, And they really enjoy creating because that's part of of learning for young kids is that they're exploring the world, they're making sense of the world, and they're creating in that process. So there's the engagement piece where we want students to, again, have that growth mindset towards learning. But I think also critical thinking is a 21st century skill. Absolutely. If we want to prepare students for the jobs of the future, some of which might not even exist yet, We need to be teaching them how to solve problems, how to be creative. And that's the glory of being human is really is really helping them to find their calling, find their passion. So it's not just about the learning. It's also about discovering their passion. And also, I think the critical thinking skills are really important for Christian educators because We want to develop student loves and values, and that's part of education as well. We want to shape their worldview to be a biblical one so that they are valuing the right things. And you can't do biblical worldview shaping without critical thinking skills. And this is where teaching gets messy because the teacher has to pull back on their control and they're not in the driver's seat anymore when the kids are developing those critical thinking skills. Yeah, a little off script. Yes, the the it's get things are getting messy. The classroom's getting noisy and the students are getting engaged and that's what happens when critical thinking skills are getting developed. Exactly. Now, that kind of sounds like that might be enjoyable, like fun. You know, they're they're actually creating and interacting and collaborating. So, one last question I have for you. 
Can you tell us how can teachers use Bloom's taxonomy to help students really discover joy in learning or the joy of learning? And I know that's something you're passionate about is students really enjoying and have joy in learning. So how can we bring this together with Bloom's taxonomy and just some practical ideas there? Sure. So I think there's this really great path. You have to follow the whole path and not to get to the joy, though. So the first step is that you have to engage students in something. You have to capture their imagination. You have to, to pique their curiosity. And that can happen right at the beginning of class, right at the beginning of a lesson. And then the teacher has the opportunity to do some instructing where they can they can give some content. They can lay some context. And then the teacher has to pull back and give students the opportunities to develop those critical thinking skills where they're analyzing, they're evaluating, they're creating, they're doing things in collaborative groups, they're doing project-based learning, problem-based learning, STEM activities. And, and then after they develop those critical thinking skills, then they get the opportunity to discover the joy of learning and serving with their knowledge and skills. And anywhere along the path, we can miss, we can fall, students can fall off and not really discover the joy, but they've got to get all the way through that, the engagement, the um, instruction, the critical thinking skills, and then they can get to the joy. So it's important that we go through that whole process. And, and that is part of the rhythm of teaching. And that's part of the joy of teaching. Right, right. Love it. Those are great thoughts. Great insights, Rachel. So this has been really pro thought provoking for me. And you know, I think in listening to you talk, it's exercising my brain, <laughs> just in talking about how to exercise our brain like a muscle. And I love that. I think that gives a great visual for our listeners, too, and something that they can take with them. And it's really easy to get in the groove of just instructing students where they're taking it in and they're repeating it or regurgitating. And it really takes intentional work to take our teaching and our learning to the next level. And I think our time to today has been a really good reminder of what that looks like and really how vital it is. We can't just skip over these things. We have to take time to think about our teaching so that we can take our students to the next level. Before we wind up this episode, we do have time for an audience question. So, Rachel, if you are able to stay on, that would be great, because I really feel like this one seems to go right along with our topic for today. And it's actually about memorization. And when I think of memorization, I think of my brain being exercise. My dad used to say, the older I get, memorization is like making a rock jump. And I will never forget. Just like when you're young, you think, why it's so hard? We, we would have Bible verse competitions and my sister and I would memorize like crazy. And my dad, I remember him working so hard. And he said, it just gets harder and harder as you go. And to me, that kind of that visual of the brain muscle there working is very vivid. So the question is, with the easy access to digital tools, is memorization still relevant for today's classroom? So we have calculators and Bible apps and grammar and spell checks. So these and so many other tools are really prevalent and they're always at the ready. They're not hard to find now. We usually are carrying them with us. So is it still necessary to spend so much time memorizing things such as math facts, Bible verses, grammar rules, spelling words, et cetera, when we're gonna have those tools right there with us? So I thought that's a really great question. And actually, this is one I have heard from parents myself. So I have some initial thoughts about the importance of having these elements committed to memory, you know, especially as it relates to application to other concepts that are coming later, where we need to have those things committed to memory. 
and the skills that are coming. And then, of course, for Bible memory, God's Word tells us to hide God's Word in our heart. So, I'm, you know, I personally can't even count the number of times God has brought passages to mind in situations, and that's because I memorized them. But Rachel, I'd love your thoughts on this, since this really seems connected with the brain muscle that we just discussed, if we want to think of it that way. So we only have a minute or two left, but do you have some thoughts on that? Sure. And I would think that the the one word that I'm thinking about is automaticity. So the idea is students have to memorize things and practice them so much that they become automatic. So there's this efficiency. So it takes longer to look something up than it does to remember something. So when students develop that automaticity in like math facts or reading, that's fundamental to so many other areas of learning and work. And yes, maybe they don't need to memorize everything, but they do need to memorize some key things to really help them with efficiency in learning. I agree completely. And I think this goes back to balance. So there are some things that maybe that were memorized years ago that maybe now we have different types of tools we can use. But to just say memorization really is not a skill for this century or this group of students, I don't think that's a great plan. And, you know, it made me think of a similar debate with handwriting, more specifically cursive, since our world now types and swipes and taps. So there was this movement away from cursive. Well, of course, with that went a lot of fine motor development and ability to read historical documents and things like that, that they found were affected by just a sweeping, you know, taking away of cursive. And I think that kind of applies to memorization. You know, cursive is back. <laughs> there are so many that realize that wasn't a great idea. And same thing with memorization to just throw it out. I think there'll be such a wide impact. We can't just totally rely on the tools that we have, although the Lord has given us the great opportunity to have so many more tools than maybe we've had in the past. So I think while the world is changing, there are some skills that just need to keep on standing. And I think memorization is definitely one of those. That was a really thought-provoking question. And I'm really excited about that question, but also about other questions that will be coming in for other episodes. Rachel, did you have any other comments on that one before we wrap up? Well, and I will mention that, you know, remembering is the bottom of Bloom's taxonomy. So it's part of the scaffolding as well. It's the necessary basis for actually understanding. And it's really part of understanding. So again, developing that automaticity is part of understanding and applying learning. That's great. Thanks, Rachel. And thank you again for your time today. I really, I think you've given us so much to think about. And I really appreciate you taking time to be here. Yes, love it. And thank you for joining us today as well. I hope you were challenged and encouraged as I was. Remember to go to teachereditionpodcast.com to submit your questions for upcoming episodes. Of course, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and do follow us on social media. Now, it's time to get back to your day. But it's not just any day. Every day in the classroom is your day to impact and inspire through God's power and His grace working in you. Go do what God has called you to do. 